Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Deceptively Fast podcast. Today we are joined by Michael Lombardi and Sean Pendergast. We're going to have a guest next week. I'm not sure if I'm going to throw it on the Thursday podcast or just do a separate one on a separate day. But pay attention and look for it. One easy way to do that is to simply subscribe on the Radio.com app or on iTunes. That's a really easy way to be sure that you get all this great wisdom from Michael Lombardi and Sean Pendergast and me and an increasing number of guests over the next couple months. If you'd like to leave a five-star review on iTunes, I would love that as well. Let's start off today with Michael Lombardi. He joined us this morning on Sports Radio 610 with my co-hosts, Mike Meltzer and Paul Gallant. And as he always does, he brought it. Yeah, for me, I just try to do what's best for the team. You know, I know sometimes for the best for the team is protecting myself, but... You know, when we're down at the goal line and, you know, I'm trying to get in the end zone, that's my mentality. So regardless of what I got to do, you know, if it's three dudes like it was tonight multiple times, I'm going to try to, you know, fight my ass off to get in the end zone. And, you know, that's my mentality and whatever it takes. You know, I'm I'm built to take those hits. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to, you know, give all my will and my guts and, and, and trying to get the ball in the end zone. That was, of course, Deshaun Watson. Joining us now is Michael Lombardi. You can pick up his book, Gridiron Genius, a master's class in winning championships and building dynasties in the NFL. Longtime NFL personnel man. Uh, Michael, uh, if you heard that clip from Deshaun Watson, the one that, that we took particular issue with here was Deshaun claiming that he's built for those types of hits. What's your, what's your personnel executive's opinion on whether he's built for those types of hits? You know, it's funny. We, whenever you put a, a, a receiver in the backfield and run with him, nobody complains about him getting tackled. And his, and, but whenever a quarterback comes out of the pocket, everybody's like, oh, he can't take those hits. My sense of it is I think he can take them. Now, I don't think he can take them like the way he took them the other night, but I think he is built to take those hits. I mean, he's played football since the ninth grade running around, and I think this is what he's comfortable with. You know, when you train a – one of the things that's hard to do when you're watching a running back isn't that you get him into the hole, is how he visualizes once he gets through the hole. It's almost an instinct. It's a crib thing. When your mama lifts you from the crib, you kind of know how to run with the football. And it's the same thing with, with quarterbacks. They kind of have a feel for when they know where to slide in the pocket, when they know how to run with it. It's hard to explain, but I do think he can get away with it, not to the level that he certainly did. And I just hope that they put the quarterback sneak in this week and that they don't wait until both guys get into the A-gap before they sneak the ball. <laughs> but I, I do think that, that, that he can do it. I, look, I think the guy's remarkable. They've had over 400 yards in every game this year. You know, uh, they, they're 2-3. and three. They won the last two in overtime. I mean, I think this team's getting better, but just something that I that they 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 have too many close games. 
Too many close games and just too many stalling outs in the red zone. I don't even – what do you even call it when it's on the one-yard line? That's not the red zone at that point. Um, no. Yeah, it would, if you had to pin it down to one or two things in the red zone, what, what's the biggest culprit? Well, I think when you can't con- – look, when the defense knows you're going to run the ball and you can't run it, you're not a good team. The, the, the signature of being a good team in the NFL is when you have to throw it, you can throw it. When you have to run it, you can run it. Now you're a good team. When the Rams have to throw it, they throw it. When the Rams have to run it, they run it. And it's the New England teams. And the other thing is, to be a great team, to go as far into the playoffs and advance, you must convert third and ones. You can't leave them on the field. That's the key. When I did it, it's in my book. I did a quarter, I did a playoff study for Belichick, and it really comes down to those third and ones in tight games. That means you control the ball. That means you keep the football, and you t- convert this down. When you don't do that, you give it back, and all of a sudden your defense goes from playing 27 minutes to playing 29 minutes, not as effective. I, I loved that part of your book, and you described the preparation leading up to the 2014 playoff game versus the Ravens. And I especially loved it because a good friend of mine, Owen Daniels, is featured in that. You talked yeah. about how that, that yeah. whole week, one of the two guys they identified for the Ravens was Owen Daniels because Gary Cooper was the offensive coordinator at the time and that when times got hard that's who they were going to go to why why is Belichick so much better at identifying the biggest threat and then neutralizing that threat compared to other coaches look they spend all Friday today tomorrow they'll spend all Friday on the Chiefs gotta have it plays I mean there's a day in New England called gotta have it right and so you, you know it I mean look the thing that killed me in that game when I'm in the press box with the coaches is Daniels was beating us and we knew we were going to give him the ball how frustrating can it be right it's not that complicated as Belichick would say look it's not that complicated you know where the ball is going to go you know when they need a play here's what they're going to do it just happens that and one time I was talking to Dan Henning the former head coach of the, of the Atlanta Falcons and a longtime offensive coordinator in the NFL and he said look kid if, they, if you don't have any tendencies, you can't be any good. So this whole hmm. notion that you have to break tendencies on offense is ridiculous. You have to go back to what I said earlier. You've got to throw it when you know you've got to throw it. You've got to run it when you know you've got to run it. Michael, I've asked a few people this over the course of the week. On a, I'm curious your perspective. Are you philosophically against the shotgun at the goal line? No, I'm not. I'm not at all. I'm a philosophically against the shotgun when it's one inch. I'm philosophically against being exclusively in everything. I don't want to be a club. I don't want to be a member of any club that does just one thing all the time. I like diversity. I like it in neighborhoods. I like it in every part of my life, right? I want diversity. I want things. I want a little bit of this, a little bit of that. When you can run the same play from shotgun and from and from under center, you become a better team. Now it makes the defense have to handle. When you're under center in the red zone, look, the most effective teams in the red zone have to run misdirection plays, motion across, motion back, sprint one way, throw it back the other way, because you're trying to move the defense. It's no different than in basketball. When you want to beat a zone in basketball, they tell you, swing the ball quickly, move the ball quickly, and get them out of spots. Same thing in red zone. Move it quickly one way, come back the other way. When you're under center, you allow a little bit more deception. Josh Allen's the worst quarterback under pressure in the NFL, and we saw his quarterback rating is one. Is this one of those games where you expect the Texans to get a lot of takeaways? Because if they are able to do something like that, that's going to take a lot of the burden off of their offense, which just can't figure out how to score. Well, here's the reality of this game, and this game is very simple. You want to talk Belichick? This is what Belichick would tell the team on on Wednesday when he met with them. Look, fellas, the the way we lose this game, the, the Bills can't win this game. We can only lose it. 
And by that he means if we turn this ball over and we let them run the ball on us, forget Josh Allen. If we let them run the ball, forget what he passes for against the Blitz. All that's nothing. If we let Josh Allen run the ball on us, if we let LaShawn McCoy run the ball on us, and we turn the ball over, we will lose. That's what's proven over the five games of the season. If we protect the football and we stop the run, we will win. And that's what the game comes down to on Sunday. That's all the game is going to be on Sunday. Those two elements, how we handle it. We've got to protect the football. We can't make mistakes. In In the two wins, this Bills defense has created six turnovers. Okay, and they've only given the ball up one time. Forget the numbers. I mean, the numbers are just atrocious when they try to throw the ball. It doesn't matter. The Bills can't win. Only the things that happen is the other team has to lose. Tennessee lost, and so did Minnesota. That's the difference in football. Michael Lombardi joining us on Mad Radio. Michael, if you were running an NFL team in the 2018 draft, what would you have thought of Josh Allen? I would have been nervous about accuracy. I'm, I'm skittish. When, what, to me, it's like guys that can't shoot free throws in basketball. It just makes me nervous, right? You know, it's like, like at some point, good shooters shoot good free throws, right? And so I would be nervous. I was nervous the whole time. I loved his size. I loved everything about him. But when you're throwing under 60% in, in, in the Wyoming, whatever conference they play in, I've lost my touch of conferences, it would worry me. You know, it would worry me. And, and, and that's what concerned me the most. And so I'm a big lineage guy. I love, especially as I wrote about in the book, I love lineage in quarterbacks. Now, I know Aaron Rodgers had to go to junior college and come back, and there's exceptions to all the rules. But I like guys like Deshaun Watson who start as a freshman in high school, who start at Clemson as a freshman. I like those kind of guys. Deshaun Watson, um, it, it's been well documented how many hits he's taken. And a lot of them are the offensive line's fault. Sometimes they're his fault. When you watch him in the pocket right now, does it look like he's remaining in and moving around the pocket as much as he should? Is he fleeing the pocket too early? Like it looks to me, it looks to me like he can't quite find passing lanes the way a veteran quarterback might. I, I think he's gotten – I mean, week one it was bad. I mean, week one he wasn't very good with it. I think he needs to protect the football. Look, there hasn't been a game so far this season where they haven't turned the ball over. I mean, they've got eight turnovers on the season in five games. And the two games that they only turned it over once, Tennessee and Indianapolis, they beat Indian overtime. But I do think he is getting better in that area. I think it's, it's improving. I think when they can separate the defense – and this is why I think he'd be even better under center – what happens with play action is why play action is so effective for teams. It separates the defense. The quarterback, when he fakes the handoff, he doesn't have to worry about is it cover two, is it cover three, because the linebackers are drawn in, and now there's space to throw. Eventually they're going to get to their zones or play in their man, but there's space now, and there's windows to throw the ball through, and I think that's why under center sometimes helps guys like Deshaun Watson. It separates. Look, Andy Reid did this with Donovan McNabb for years. Donovan McNabb used to roll out, fake the handoff to his right, turn his back to the defense and set up behind one of the tackles and chuck it down the field. It separated the defense for McNabb. It was easier for him to read it that way. I think that's what Deshaun could benefit from as well. Kansas City's been amazing this season. They play the New England Patriots in Sunday night football. Does New England have a chance to slow Kansas City's offense down with the struggles that they've had this year against teams like Jacksonville? You know, it drives me absolutely insane. And Seth, I think you can identify with this having played for Coughlin and under like the, this whole pass rush lanes against Patrick Mahomes is absurd. Mm-hmm. Like, like I thought Jacksonville was going to do a much better job of controlling him in the pocket, which means your defensive ends have to push inside. I mean, one of the reasons why Chris Long 
played one year in New England, won a Super Bowl, and left is because his style of play is to run up the field and come on the outside edge of the tackle. In New England, that's a no-no. In New England, they don't want anybody past the quarterback. They want people. They want people in front of the quarterback pushing the pocket. And I think that's what will give Mahomes trouble. I know this from my time in the NFL. You're not beating a great quarterback with unique coverages or just playing zone and all that. The way you stop great quarterbacks is through getting in the paint, which is that area where the quarterback steps up in the pass rush lane, and getting in front of them and keeping four guys in front of them and not letting them out of the pocket. Oh, boy. No, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because and a lot of UT fans will remember this name. Tony Brackens is a guy I played with in Jacksonville. And Tony just was an incredible athlete. And my, some of my all-time favorite moments were his interactions with Tom Coughlin over, over discipline in the pass rush. Because Tony was going to get things done and do them in an unconventional way. But those two would have some some battles and some stare-downs over it. Because you're right, Coughlin... Coughlin demands a disciplined pass rush, and it makes it makes quarterbacks really uncomfortable. And sometimes it's not it's not as many sacks. It's not you can get great. There's a difference, and yeah, I think you said this in your book. There's a difference between sacks and pass pressure. And someday right. you can pressure the quarterback without getting sacks. Hey, sacks are almost a meaningless stat. I mean, sacks happen because the quarterback misses a cut, was a blitz pickup or something. They're really we want pressure. We want the ball to come out early. But if it's not coming out early, we don't want the quarterback to buy loose plays with his feet and move around like Aaron Rodgers does. And to me, if I'm a defense coordinator in the NFL, I spend Wednesday on the rush plan. You know, too often defense coordinators in the NFL don't even talk to the defensive line coach. They let him come up with the rush plan. Well, all those guys think they're on the beach. They just just start swim moves the whole time. Well, let's just swim move. I mean, Brackens was the king of it. Swim moves, you know. Let's get past the quarterback. You know the worst place to be in football is two yards past the quarterback because he's yet to turn and run that way, right? So now you're playing a game 10 on 11. When you're past the quarterback, you lose a defender. You're one you're one short. It's like a, it's like a hockey game. You're, you're, you're in a penalty. And so you've got to be able to stay in front of them. And, look, Brackens, I thought, was as close to Charles Haley as any player I evaluated coming out of college. I love Tony Brackens. But when you go past the quarterback, it just kills you. Michael, last thing from me. In honor of uh, this weird Jimmy Butler in Minnesota story, I know you're a basketball fan as well. Did you guys have anything in any of your NFL practices happen, anything along the lines of what Butler pulled yesterday? You know, I, I think Butler's – I don't understand where Butler's going. First of all, he's got a medical issue that I think people are concerned with in the NBA. He wants a max contract. He thinks every he should get it. I mean, to me, if I'm Minnesota, and I, I would just have to – you know, look, to me, there's a law of threes. There's three groups of people in every organization, and guys that are causing all the problems, even if you're a star player, just ignore them. I mean, Coughlin did this with Plaxico Burroughs. He just ignored them. Put him in group three. Focus on the people in group one and two that you can work with. To me, I, 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 I've never seen it. I think somebody is going to pay a price for when they don't give him the max contract down the road. It's not going to be Minnesota, but say they trade him to Houston. And Houston's talking about trading for him, right? And Houston wants to get him on the discount rack. However, that being the case, the situation is once you get him and you don't max him out, he becomes a problem for you. So you're taking their problem and putting him in your locker room. Michael Lombardi, get his book on Amazon. It is a great read, and it's not just the stories about Bill Walsh and Al Davis and Bill Belichick and everybody else. It's kind of the blueprint and proven successes for building football teams. It's a great read. I really enjoyed it. It's Gridiron Genius, a master's class in winning championships and building dynasties in the NFL. Michael, thanks again. We'll see you next week.
Yeah, thank you. I'm sure you probably regret asking me a basketball question, but I do love the NBA. So oh no, anyway, no, no, no. You, you draw. I, that's a good. That's a good answer. I I agree with all of it. Yeah, and and, and um, we have to bring up. Uh, I got to get all your Charles Haley stories the next time we have you on. <laughs> yes. Oh man, there's too many of those. <laughs> They're like Al Davis stories. They go on forever. All right, guys. Thanks thank a you, lot. Mike. Bye bye. And we thank you. Up next is Sean Pendergast. Usually, Sean and I kind of patter about current events in the NFL for a little while before we get to his picks. I'll try to start giving you guys a timestamp for those of you who are just tuning in for Sean's picks. I realize we kind of filibuster before we get to it, but he's such an interesting person to talk to. And I always feel like I could talk to Sean for four hours and still want to explore more topics with him. So it's hard for me to just flat out get straight to the point with Sean. I'll give you a timestamp. You can get your fix. You can make up your losses from last weekend. You can do call your bookie. Do whatever you got to do. Here's Shawnee. And Sean Pendergast, as he does, joins us every week. Sean, how are you, man? What's happening, Seth? How are you? I'm good. Uh, I, I, I've realized I didn't explain this to you. I'm sitting next to a Hugh Hefner smoking jacket. <laughs> yeah. We're doing a little bit of uh, – we're doing a video after I'm done here with uh, – with our radio oh, that guy. That suits you, man. Red, yeah, uh, that's uh, a little Ivy League pedigree. I felt so cheesy going into the costume shop and asking for that. Even though it's a costume <laughs> shop and they I felt like I was going in. Have you ever been to a costume shop? Of course. If you go in at a non-Halloween time, I think there's two types of people there. One is that there are like theatrical people, like people yeah, that are yeah, actually yeah. staging a play or something. And two is extremely kinky people. Yeah, I, I the, you get the sense that there's some kinky people in there. A lot of role play. Going and I, on. yeah, I felt weird asking for the Hugh Hefner jacket. I asked for a smoking jacket, and they, she's like, "Well, we've got like seven Hugh Hefner jackets." And that, of course, you do. I, it's funny because we we know like what the big board of role play fantasies are for heterosexual men. Yeah. I wonder what they are for women. I wonder, like, what women want men to like for what guys. Do they really want for yeah. guys, guys. It's it's pretty. I think it's pretty standard big board. Like for guys, it's it's you know like Catholic schoolgirl. You got your French maid. French maid. Yeah. Cop. Right. School. Uh, school marm. School. Yeah. 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 School's big probably, in general. Probably like a tennis outfit. Yeah. You know, kind of that milfy tennis thing going uh-huh. on, country club uh-huh. thing. Um. But I don't know what it is going the other way. Like, yeah, is there do you want, a, me, to, there do you want me to dress like a wealthy industrialist? Like I don't want <laughs> right. because I don't have the money for the suit. I'm sorry. <laughs> that the uh, it's not. I don't I love it. Do you, when you I dress up like, like an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> do that I thing am, where you're an attorney. I'm, my wife's always impressed with me uh, when I'm when I do anything around the house that's almost kind of manly. Yeah. So maybe she would like it if I kind of dress up like a mechanic that's home after a hard day. That's good. That's a high testosterone job. Yeah. I, you know, guy. We left out cheerleader. Cheerleader is a, a big male one. cheerleader. No, 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 no. Oh. For for guys, but that was that's my question. Like for guys, obviously the cheerleader outfit on a woman is a big role play kind of thing. I, do male cheerleaders do the same thing oh, for women? I, you know what? I think for women in general, just any kind of uniform. So that's definitely yeah, what it is. That's why yeah. male strippers Probably are military. so often. Right. So yeah. male strippers, they, what, they're police officers, they're yep. military dudes, yeah. um, sports uniforms in general, I think. Yeah. So something like that. Somehow yeah, that's true. Can, I guess we do have kind of a kind of a big board put together knowing what type of costumes strippers show up in like at bachelorette parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Assuming that, I don't know, I mean, maybe that's just – that's just men being like, yeah, I don't know what the ladies want. This is where what do we're you think do. smoking jacket is on there? <laughs> I don't think that's going to be very high at all. Like, <laughs> I've always fantasized about an older, an elderly man taking advantage of my desire to get into Hollywood 
and having me live in a glorified prison. <laughs> Sit down here on this casting couch. Yeah, here you go. I'm going to pay, pay you a stipend to go live in this tacky old mansion that looks like it's uh, straight out of 1975. <laughs> you don't think women like that? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to bring a woman in someday for this. I think that I think some women do, but I think the small I think it's way out there on the bell curve. I do too. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Anyways, I like your I like your uh, costume. Thank you. Thank yeah. you very much. Uh, it's going to be a good video. I've also got a I've got a Marky Mark poster that I just ordered for another whole thing. I'm going to do Your kids on the block tickets went on sale today. Oh, really? Yeah. Is it the whole crew back together? They're, not only are they getting the whole crew back together, but they are having it's like an 80s reunion. Like Debbie Gibson is coming in for this thing. Uh, I think Naughty by Nature. Debbie Gibson. Tiffany. Mm. When I was in college, there Tiffany was, a, was the more dangerous one. <laughs> Debbie she, was a little too just uh, goody two shoes for she, me. There was a big rumor when I was in college, my freshman year in 1987. There was a huge rumor going around campus that Debbie Gibson was going to be in the incoming freshman class the next year at oh, Notre really? Dame. Oh, really? Huge rumor. Yeah. Had she been? Uh, was she actually? I don't even know if she applied, but there was a rumor going around that she was coming, which tells me she may have applied. And the big question we were all asking was, why the hell would she want to go to college? She's making millions of dollars, making. You know, right. uh, soda pop, uh, you know, candy love songs. She probably, but she could continue to record and then go to I college suppose. at the same. Natalie Portman, did she take off from acting completely? Because for a, I almost, well, for any female entertainer, those four years that you miss is like, that's your prime time. Because they get yeah. screwed over once they hit their mid-30s. They do. It's, they it's do. harder and harder to get the opportunities. Yeah. Did, where, did Natalie Portman go to Harvard? She went to Harvard, okay. yeah. And I think she, but she'd been acting like son from the time she was little. Uh, yeah, she, she was, was kind of young. Remember, she, she was, was in the professional. Yeah, she was. She was in. She was in the the Star Wars prequels. She was still pretty young. Yeah, she was in the but that was one. after Harvard, though. Was it after Harvard? Yeah, okay. all right. That was when she was already. She was an adult playing right. a playing a younger child. This podcast has gone in a direction I didn't see it going. This yet. is exactly. It's led us right to the <laughs> the Watt brothers. <laughs> in a way, I haven't discussed it at all yet because yeah, JJ Watt is tied for the lead in sacks in the NFL with two people. One is Geno Atkins, and one is his brother TJ Watt, yeah, yeah. who plays for the Steelers. I haven't <laughs> talked about this because there's no real hot take to be had, but it. It's interesting to me when I think about the the Watt family dynamic and the sibling rivalry and how I, I'm just never comfortable with anything being framed as sibling rivalry. The NFL.com website had this as – like the Watt brothers in a heated heated contest yeah. for the sack record. Like, yeah. is that because in some families, I'm thinking of like the Kennedys here, they actually do cultivate a certain sibling rivalry, which always feels really, really dysfunctional. Yeah. And I don't get that sense from the Watt family at all. No, there's sibling rivalry and then there's healthy competition. Those are two different things. Yeah. The guy I feel for in all this thing is Derek Watt. I knew that's where you were going. Derek Watt I feel for because even JJ and TJ are sort of acknowledging it on Twitter now, like with like JJ TJ tweeted out uh, or he may have retweeted somebody posting their stats are almost identical through yeah. five games, like same number of sacks, same number of TFLs, like almost the same exact number of tackles. And JJ retweeted it and put stop copying me, bro, at <laughs> TJ Watt. And my first thought as someone who is the least athletic brother in a, in a family of three brothers, like my, 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 I have two younger brothers. One of them played soccer and football at Notre Dame. The other one was an all state goalkeeper in high school. Like they're both really good athletes. I was a terrible athlete, so I kind of – that's why Derek Watt is the first place I go. And my first thought in looking at that is, is Derek, do you think Derek Watt is, like, on a group text with, like, Cooper Manning 
And like the third Plumley brother. The Plumley brother. Fredo that's a Co- good Fre- one. Fredo Corleone. I think Cooper Manning is the most obvious comparable. Yeah. And that's where Derek's got to feel good about that at least. Cause Cooper, he's in the league. Right. He's in the league. He's a fullback for San Diego. Yeah. And like depending on how, how many dozens of people get injured in San Diego in any given year, he might not be end up being on a good team one of these and years. He's never going to have to worry about how much money he makes because both of his brothers are going to be – well, one already is, and the other one's going to be a $100 million player at yeah, some you don't want to be living off of – like, What's he going to live in a garage a, apartment in the compound in Wisconsin? It. I get it. I'm just saying if an emergency came to pass. You, if, know, you know you've got a couple of very, very wealthy older brothers to take. Care of you. I wonder. I I have to go back and look at some of the draft comparables for T.J. Watt because that would be the ultimate the ultimate test for like uh, hidden racism would be because <laughs> you know like oh if it's a white defensive lineman you're going to compare him to a white defensive lineman right I don't think anybody was dumb enough to compare T.J. Watt to J.J. Watt as far as draft comparables God I hope but not. they were only saved by the fact that they were different like T.J.'s an outside linebacker yeah, and he's J.J.'s like an interior forty pounds lineman. lighter than him well but they did the same thing with uh with what's his name from with Bosa. Bosa's yeah. a whole. Bosa's a whole. Remember they were showing those combine stats of yeah. Bosa, like how he was the same speed as JJ Water faster, and we're like, well, yeah, I mean, that's impressive and all, but he was also thirty pounds yeah, lighter exactly. than JJ Watt. The s- They're just white. <laughs> like it's the same. It's Being not so mean racist. The same thing. Yeah. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. One of the other big stories this week. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll play some audio here in a second, and then uh, after I after I'm done talking to you, but. Um, Odell Beckham Jr. comes out with Josina Anderson and criticizes, in a very roundabout way, Eli Manning and just maybe the Giants organization in general. And in that situation, because I've delivered my hot takes about all of that already, I'm just trying to figure out who do I feel worse for? Do I feel worse for Eli Manning or do I feel worse for Pat Shermer? Because one of them, Eli was already there. Eli's won two Super Bowls. Eli's on his way out eventually. The Giants organization just can't seem to realize that he should be. But Pat Shermer, who is dealing with a star player who makes more money than he does and has probably ultimately in the long term maybe more power than Pat Shermer, but Pat Shermer knew this getting into it. It's not like it's not like Pat Shermer couldn't have seen this coming. But he's also – He's also very much at the mercy of his star player, Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, there's probably part of Pat Shermer that thought that Odell Beckham Jr. getting a, a big contract might quell some of this. Like, okay, he's the part of why he was what he was before was that he wanted to get paid. He held out a couple of years ago. Like, that's yeah. he's been making a stink about how much money he's been making for two years now. So maybe I, I don't know. Shermer's the only one that knows. I to me it's a no brainer. I feel worse for Shermer. Like Eli, I just don't think Eli gives a shit about this stuff. Like I think Eli Odell Beckham Jr. is talking about Eli Manning and Eli's like Eli's like one of the ten highest paid guys in football and he's got two Super Bowl rings. He's royalty in New York. Yeah. I don't think there's anything Odell Beckham Jr. can say that's gonna move giant fans off of defending Eli Manning. If anything, the organization galvanized Eli even more last year when they ended his consecutive game streak. He's a sympathetic figure now and forever in New York. Because so. they benched him for yeah. no good reason. They I guess be- why he's still well, on the team. Because they benched him to put Geno Smith in. Right. Right. It would have been something if they put Davis Webb in there. That would have actually made – I mean, it would have been stupid still because Davis Webb stinks. But I'm a sucker. Hey, hey, don't you talk about Davis Webb. I'm a sucker why? for Davis Webb. Why? Because I read a, a piece on him in Sports Illustrated. You know how those Is he likable? Yeah, he's likable. Yeah. And, you know, he's, he's he remembers 
remembers his roots, and he um, he delivers a scouting report of his own to Eli Manning every week. Like he does his own research and everything, and then delivers the the scouting report. He drives, you know, he drives a big F two fifty up in, nice. up around New York City, up around the tri state area, all this stuff. He's uh, not on the Giants anymore, though, right? No, no, I don't cut. think so. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, but well. but that last year it would have been for Davis Webb. But you're right. There, if you look at the upside of those two, Gino Gino at least had something there that at some point could have been salvageable. Maybe, maybe. I I just think I you know of of with this Beckham stuff. Like I just. Eli just strikes me as somebody where his kind of dopiness and seeming just—it's not aloofness because I don't think he's a—I don't think he's a like a cocky person who looks no, down on people. No, not at all. I just think there's not a lot. I—I I just don't think there's a lot of stuff that affects Eli necessarily to where it gets in his head. Yeah. And I think his dopiness can be sort of can work to his favor in situations like this sometimes. This isn't directly related, but I'm, I'm reading that book by Jeff Perlman about the USFL football oh, for a buck. We're having him on the uh, we're having him on the show uh, Friday. Oh my gosh. Four forty to talk about it. Tell him tell him give me a question uh, if you think him. of okay I've, no I've got a whole I've got a whole Google Doc full of questions. Okay. I'll give you one. Okay. But I also this is what happens when you read this book. I've got a bunch of notes that I'm taking on the book, but then I've got just as many ideas for my own new football league. <laughs> like, oh. uh, like, cause you do, you, you go through this and you're like, Oh wow, that's a great idea. Oh yeah, this is a good idea. How can I go about, I'll tell you this, this is the one thing about the NFL at this point in history is that the, the entry, the entry price has gotten so high and they've become such a monopoly in so many ways that I think it's inevitable that people are going to continue to despise the NFL for various reasons for the same reason people hated AT&T back in the day yeah like there's ser- there's certain things that they can't handle in there but um but there's uh, but I, there's like a little avenue here where hey hundred millionaires might want to own a football team too and yeah maybe if you take a guy who's a sophomore in college anyway I'm getting distracted I've no got- no 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 but I but I think your point is a good one and the competition you know iron sharpens iron kind of thing like yeah. competition Competition is a good thing. And in the NFL, I don't know if their mentality is to squash these leagues nowadays like it may have been back then with the USFL. We're going to find out. The XFL is, is doing a reboot in a couple years. The AAFL is popping up here. And those are being run by people who, I mean, Vince McMahon's got deep pockets. Yeah. He's, he just, my dad just sent me an article yesterday. He's one of two new billionaires that live in the state of Connecticut, according to Forbes. He's worth $3.3 billion, He's a so. billionaire. Yeah, three point four billion. Three point three billion. My gosh, yeah. that's incredible. Yeah, but no, it, you look at the USFL. What they were able to do was they were able to give bigger contracts yeah. to star players. Yeah, Herschel Walker. They grabbed Herschel Walker. Steve Young. They grabbed Steve Young Reggie right out White. of college. And the NFL then realized, oh wow, um, this is something we have to worry about. Jim Kelly. I, I don't know if the NFL still viewed them as much of a threat. I'm about halfway through. Yeah, as much as the USFL owners themselves, yeah. kind of did themselves in Trump. Trump has – there's some interesting tidbits in oh, here about Trump. I can't only Trump. imagine. Be careful in what you ask Perlman about Trump uh, just for the sake of our listener base and everything. Like, I it's I am he's, aware. He's got some doozies. Uh, okay, other big story this yeah. week that came out. We don't know too much about this. Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown accused in a civil lawsuit of tossing furniture from the balcony <laughs> of his 14-story apartment building nearly killing a 22-month-old toddler. <laughs> By the way, I'm reading this out of the New York Post, which nearly killing a toddler versus, like, okay, it landed close to him. I, I, nearly killing sounds worse than I think, but 
He could have. He could have seriously. Toddler was walking, you know, a few feet the other way. Fourteen stories. Uh, that that would have killed him. It would have killed him. I, that's that's safe enough to say. Um, large objects started to fall from the building above this man who was walking with his his twenty two month old grandson. The objects included two large vases, an ottoman, and other pieces of furniture, all of which landed within two feet of the toddler and his grandfather. So he's being sued for this. Hard to find any excuse for this if it's real. He was upset about the fact that he apparently had $80,000 in cash stolen from him. Yeah. Whenever anybody's had that much cash stolen from him, my immediate response is like, well, come on. Yeah. Why, why are you carrying that much? Yeah. What the hell? That's way, too much, that's way too much cash yeah. to have. So we talked about this on the show this morning. What's, what's the dumbest thing you've ever done in a hotel room? When I was because at the time it was being reported that it was a hotel room. It turns yeah. out it was a, a rented condo. Yeah, but it got us thinking about hotels. One thing before I tell you the dumbest thing, and I just remembered what it was. Um, I'll get to that in a second. I'm always surprised that there are not more stories of random people walking on sidewalks, getting hit with things, coming out of buildings. Oh, I know as many build as many buildings as there are. Like you go to downtown Houston, there are there are condos and and towers now that have hundreds of balconies and Mm -hmm. i'm not talking about intentional i'm just talking about like a penny falling out of somebody's pocket or something like that i'm always shocked and i and just walking around new york and walking in downtown areas i don't know like i there's part of me that has like this general distrust of things going on up above my head like we just should no in new york city it happens yeah a lot of those old Historically protected buildings have old terracotta sculptures and gremlins and everything up there that just flat out every now and then they fall off. Yeah, and I'm not even I'm talking about just like a piece of gravel. Like if a pebble rolls off of a thirty right. store balcony and comes down, like gravity will put that thing through your skull. A nickel off the Empire State Building. Yeah. So like that old story was that it would like put a hole in your head or something. Yeah, yeah, or they would go down like six inches yeah. into the sidewalk <laughs> or whatever. Um so I so that's just one. I remember the dumbest thing that I ever did in a hotel room. Me and my old roommate from college, my sophomore year, we went to USC Notre Dame in California during Thanksgiving break. And in a really nice hotel, like his parents, his parents, his brothers, and me, they like took me along. Like, hey, Dave, do you want to bring Sean with you? Sure. So my parents paid for the airline ticket. And we were staying in like one of the nicest hotels in LA. Oh, yeah. And it had balconies. And our balcony was probably had to be 15 20 stories up <laughs> and it was overlooking the you know the the the, the driveway you know yeah. the little you know the little circular driveway they have in front of nice hotels I like where this is going we we spent I, I'm not even joking we spent like multiple nights not like the whole night but we'd come back drunk to the hotel yeah and just wadding up big things of toilet paper wet and just dropping them down and we weren't like necessarily trying to hit people but yeah. we were and it was the dumbest. Like, I don't know how we thought. We didn't get caught. Like how you get joy out of that, right? Right. We, the one thing we were doing was it was the front sidewalk. So there were a lot of people pulling in to check into the hotel. And you know what happens. Like, the bellhop comes, concierge comes, they pop the trunk open or whatever, and they take out the suitcases, and they put the suitcases down on the sidewalk there. So that is the one thing we did try to hit was we, were, we would try to – we would try to drop our big wad of soaking wet toilet paper onto people's luggage. You know what? The great thing is, if I saw that happen from a distance 
and it was my luggage, I would think it was like a gigantic bird that had pooped all over it. <laughs> right. I'm like, oh my god. Yeah. Look <laughs> like, at this I'd be, I'd big white splotch. These, like these pterodactyls that had come back to <laughs> attack us. Yes. This Jurassic Park dinosaur birds. So that's probably the dumbest thing. It's definitely it's one of the dumbest. I'm trying to think. Like, you know, I've done spring breaks with buddies before. Yeah. You know, senior year in high school, me and some buddies. Like eight of us took the train from Connecticut down to Fort Lauderdale. I don't know why our parents let us do this, but we stayed eight of us in two rooms in an Econo Lodge. Yeah, it's disgusting. And the ba- yeah, and the bathtub. Like we never used the bathtub to shower or bathe. It was just a gigantic cooler. Yeah, yeah. All weekend, we just kept dumping ice and drinks in there, you which is really no disgusting when you think about it. Like they were yeah. storing storing beverages that are going to touch our lips in a receptacle that strangers have used to bathe the filth off of their body for decades. Yeah, there's uh, residual pubic hair uh, all over the place Damn. in there. That's no, really dumb. Uh, yeah, I, I probably I can't uh, I can't tell the story I, I want to <laughs> tell out of, respect to, out of respect to certain people. Uh, this, in terms of gambling, yeah. um, Texans-Colts, this has been an interesting week because we were on air the other day, and all of a sudden the line, which had been Texans favored by uh, – or excuse me, not Texans-Colts, Texans-Bills. Texans-Bills, yeah. Um, so we were on air the other day, and Landry Locker just happened to notice that the line had gone from minus eight Texans down to minus one yeah. on the book he was looking at. And then all of a sudden it disappeared from all the boards. Yeah. So we found out within a day that Deshaun Watson was – day-to-day with a chest injury. No, we found out within an hour and a half. Right, that's yeah. right, yeah. Well, I mean, but Vegas knew before everybody else. Right. And then uh, now the line now the line is back up to minus 10 Texans. So yeah. Vegas knows that Deshaun's probably going to play. Yeah. I'm surprised that an injured Deshaun Watson is worth more than – I guess before was the line minus eight with a lot of people wondering whether Deshaun was Well, hurt? here's the thing. It was minus eight, anywhere from minus eight to minus ten. Okay. You know, obviously, so there's was, multiple right. places. So it, was in, it, was, it wasn't below eight anywhere. It yeah. was in the eight to ten range, depending on where you looked. And then, yeah, I, I saw Landry tweet about it, Seth. That's the first I had seen of this. And I just thought where I look, it, it was minus ten. And it's significant just because – when Landry said it was minus one, I said, well, that just must be a website he's going to where there's a typo. Right, Some exactly. interns putting the data in there, and they just put they forgot to put a zero in. When he told me that the that the game was off the board in some places, I said, okay, well, that's a problem. <laughs> you know, like the line moving to one could just be a clerical error unless it's multiple books moving it to one, and then that's obviously something. But it being taken off the books is – you don't do that by accident. You do that because you have information – and the only players that would force a game to be taken off the board in Vegas or on any sports book would be a quarterback. Yeah. Even a great player like J.J. Watt, for example, or DeAndre Hopkins or – Well, like, like I said, Gronkowski. I remember listening to a gambling guy yeah. talk about Gronkowski, and I didn't realize like Gronk in his peak and in his prime is still not worth that much point on the line, half. right? A point and a half. point okay. and a half, maybe. But that's huge for a, for a tight end, but it's still nothing compared to a quarterback. It's huge for any non-quarterback. To, yeah. it's, it's big for any non-quarterback to be worth anything in terms of moving a line. Yeah. Like, if you're worth even a half a point and you're a non-quarterback, excuse me, quarterback, it means you're a hell of a football player. But with quarterbacks – so what surprised you that it moved seven points because of Deshaun Watson? I know. Do you think that was a lot? It surprised me. See, in my mind, again, I didn't know that there was. Five. In my mind, it went from minus eight, went off the board. Then yeah. they find out that Deshaun is 
yeah, he's banged up, but he's going to play, and then it went up to minus ten. Yeah, that it's something was it was it simply that that's where it settled in because there was certainty about like the fact that he's probably going to play. Yeah, or or was it that something else had happened that it's gone up to ten? Yeah, I think that's just people steaming the Texans, okay. thinking that they're a lot better than the Bills. And I, like I said, it was it wasn't eight everywhere. Yeah. It was higher than eight in some places. So I I think I think what's happened since it was announced yesterday that he's going to play is the line just settling back into where it was following the Cowboys game. The the early lines on the game were already out before – the lines on Bills-Texans, the early ones, were out before the Texans even kicked off with the Cowboys on Sunday night. The the look ahead, the early lines, and that – it opened at eight and a half. So – but It's a a big number for a team that can't score in the red zone. Well, let me ask you this. I put a Twitter poll up about this, and I'm curious your thoughts on this because I think you could – I agree with you. I, I agree that double digits is a lot to lay with a team that can't score when they're inside the 10-yard line, yeah. that's getting threes instead of sevens every time, that lets teams like the Bills hang around in these games, whether it's at home or on the road, and give them belief. I also think there's an argument to be made for resting Deshaun Watson this week as uh-huh. well, that, yeah, it's the Bills, they're an NFL team, but if you think you can game plan your way to a win with – because I don't think the Bills are going to score on the Texans. That's a big thing. If you think you can win the game with Whedon, then maybe you do something weed and you mix in a little Joe Webb. I'm curious if you had to bet, and I, I like this. I like asking you this because I know you don't bet. Would you? You have to bet one of one or the other. Okay. Would you be more willing to lay the tex to bet the Texans with Whedon starting at quarterback minus one, or would you be more willing to bet the Texans with Watson starting at quarterback minus ten? <sighs> I. Th- I I feel better about Watson at minus 10. You do? I do because at least part of this without getting too heavy into the Xs and Os of it, um I don't I don't want to say it's bad luck that they haven't been able to find the edge. I know exactly they're, what you're saying. They're losing battles at times, but even in losing battles, you shouldn't be the worst red zone defense offense in the league or second worst red zone yeah. offense in the league when you have those weapons around you. Yeah. So I, I think the adjustments will come, and I think a little bit of luck in is going to make the Texans a, a more prolific scoring offense than they were. And now – the thing that concerns me and worries me is that the Bills have shown that they're they're an opportunistic defense. Right. And if they do capitalize on that, then that's how they win games. They yeah. win games by ma- making other teams make mistakes. Yeah, I, I think I, I think there's some – when you're a good team, like when you're a talented team like the Texans are offensively, skill-wise at least, I think there is some randomness built into the red zone. I think there's – you know, I know Mike likes to talk about regression to the yep. mean. I, I think red zone is a little bit like turnovers from that standpoint where, yes, yeah, some of it is your inefficiency and your inability down there. Some of it is, you know, Ryan Griffin's going to catch the next one that goes through his hands. Yep. Deshaun Watson is going to see the guy that's wide open on the right when he's trying to run it to the left. I, I just think some of those things are going to fix themselves. I just don't feel good about laying double digits with them against anybody right now just because of the way they start games, Seth. Yep. They, they get behind in all these games, and they – they let teams that are inferior to them. The Giants are a classic example in Week Three. They let them believe and hang around, and then the Giants built up a twenty to three lead. I don't know that the Bills are capable of building a lead like that because they don't have the skill guys that the Giants have. But I, so that's why I wouldn't lay the ten. I'd be more inclined to go the other way and bet Whedon minus one, just because I think the Texans are going to find a way to win this game, mm-hmm. regardless of who's the, in there. Josh Allen threw for 82, 86 yards last week. It was uh, like that David Carr game against the Steelers back in yeah, the day. Were you was, on the team? Yeah, I was. I was, yeah. He threw for like 34 yards, and you guys the, beat the Steelers by two touchdowns. It was uh, it was fewest number of yards in a victory ever, and I think it was 70-something. Like, the fewest number of offensive yards ever is 30-something. Yeah. Yeah. He had the fewest number of yards in a win. Yeah. Um, 
Everybody that wants all of Sean's picks, you can go to HoustonPress.com or yeah. look at him on Twitter, at Sean T. Pendergast. Sean college, T. Yeah, at Sean T. Pendergast. Yeah. I'm college heavy this week. You're college heavy. Four there, college, two pro. I'll give you a, a couple that caught my interest. Okay. Is, one is LSU plus seven and a half over Virginia. Over um, Georgia. Or, excuse me, over Georgia. Yeah. I'm combining Georgia and Orgeron into Virginia somehow. <laughs> Orgeron, I, I'm in love with the notion of Orgeron succeeding at LSU. Me too. Because, like, Bruce Arians, like, all these other – like, Mike Zimmer, they're the, it's a coach that people in their mind just thought, like, nope, not, not big-time head coach material. Yeah. But he might just be the man for that school uh, in, in this time and place. And the one thing I did know – was that he? People have underestimated him in terms of like like he's very good against the spread at home. Since, yeah. Uh, like and I and I there's is is part of that just simply that one the way LSU has played with or without Ed Orgeron over the years yep. and two just that they under they underestimated Ed Orgeron. Yeah, I think so. I like I think Orgeron Orgeron was a, he was a bad head coach at Ole Miss. He was a pretty good interim head coach at USC, and I think he's done a decent job at LSU so far. And I think you can. Like any vocation, you can get better at it. You can learn things from the first time you did it. And I, I feel like Ed Orgeron is that guy. It's LSU, so they have a ton of talent on that team. There's a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball. The biggest thing for me in this game is that Georgia hasn't really played anybody yet. They haven't been tested. The hardest part of Georgia's schedule starts Saturday this weekend with LSU. They play four games against ranked teams uh, starting with LSU, then Florida in Jacksonville at the cocktail party, and then they play Kentucky and Auburn over the next three weeks after that. So I, I, Georgia is starting a real tough stretcher. Yeah. They haven't really played anybody. Meanwhile, Jake, LSU, how many has Jake Fromm played four quarters yet? Uh, I think he has. That's the yeah. other thing. This isn't Alabama, okay? I think Georgia and Alabama are probably the two best teams. Alabama is definitely the best team. But this Georgia team has not – it's not like Tua – Tagovailoa, where he's been out of the game by midway through the third quarter. Yeah. Jake Fromm had to play to the very end against Missouri yeah. uh, a little bit earlier this season. They, they've had some tussles with some teams that are not great teams. The, we know the atmosphere is going to be amazing. The game's in Baton Rouge. That's why I like it. I think Georgia's the better team. I think Fromm is the better quarterback. I think he's better than, uh, than, than Joe Burrow. Um, but the half is a big on this. Seven and a half. The yeah. LSU is getting two scores in a game that I think is is going to be a is going to be a, a classic SEC sort of bloodbath. Uh, okay, so yeah, the half when it's a seven and a half versus a six and a half, that half on the seven and a half makes seven, a big difference. If you're taking the underdog, yeah, yeah. if you're taking the underdog, because okay. that means Georgia's going to have to they they're going to have to beat them by two scores. Uh, and then you're taking Oregon plus three over Washington. The biggest thing that jumps out at me here is that I know Washington has just crushed Oregon the last two years. They have, and they, uh, you know, you, it's the same coach. It's not one of these program yeah. comparisons. It's, it, yeah, Washington. I, I've watched a lot of Washington this year because I bet on them and against them a couple of times. They, I know they're ranked seventh in the country. Um, they just haven't been that impressive. Jake Browning has as many interceptions this season as he had all of last season. They've just had trouble moving the ball and scoring. I think Oregon. I think Oregon in this game. Look, Oregon. Oregon was one foot away from going in and going up thirty-one-seven on Stanford. They, you know, and if they score that touchdown, the game probably ends a blowout. That's their only loss of the year. Instead, they fumble the ball. Stanford takes it 90 yards the other way. All of a sudden, it's 24-14, and, and Mario Cristobal, the head coach of Oregon, starts making all these weird decisions down the stretch, and they lose in overtime. So, I, I get like, from a record standpoint, you look at it and go, well, a loss is a loss. It is, but when you're handicapping games, you know, that's basically a, a coin flip game 
that really should have been a blowout by Oregon if they don't make silly decisions and kind of random errors like a fumble. So I say all that to say Oregon should probably be undefeated right now. And if they were undefeated, there's no way they would be an underdog at home right. against Washington from a perception standpoint. They've got the home field. They've got the better quarterback. And they're getting three points in this game. I think they win the game outright. So I love getting three points here. NFL, you've got Falcons minus three over the Bucks. I agree with you on this one. I think the, the Falcons have a PR issue right now. Well, they've got a win-loss issue too. But they've also – they've got three of their losses are by a total of 13 points. And you're talking yeah. Eagles, Saints, and Bengals. I, I, I know that the Falcons have their issues defensively, but I know the Buccaneers have equal issues defensively, and they just they don't have the offense that the Falcons do. Jameis is playing his first game. I don't know that that like, – this is not like somebody that's coming in that they don't know something about. They've played Jameis Winston a half dozen times already uh, over his career as a Buccaneer. I just feel like the Falcons are due for a win. You know, they're due for – I know they got blown out by the Steelers last week, but you're right. The other games they've lost this year could have gone either way. Yeah. Um, I don't think the the Buccaneers are an atrocious defensive team. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. And in a high-scoring game, if the, if the margin is only – it's actually three and a half. And, again, that half is big. You know, three is a football number, like seven is a football number. I just don't think this is a field goal game. I think it's going to be a track meet that eventually the Falcons are going to get some stops at home, and I don't think the Buccaneers are going to get many stops at all. And I think the Falcons win a very high-scoring game by at least 10 points over the Buccaneers. Um, I want to believe in the Bengals, uh, but their their victory over the Dolphins last week did not convince me. No. Uh, I'm, I'm less I'm – as, I'm as – Little convinced about the Dolphins as I've been in a long time this season. Yeah, um, but they were up seventeen nothing. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I, the Bengals are a respectable team as they always are, but I just don't see the Steelers being two and a half point underdogs to them right now. They're the Bengals are the anti Falcons, yeah. right? And, and it's and it's ironic that these two teams actually the Falcons and the Bengals played each other a couple weeks ago, and the game ended thirty seven thirty six because. Those two teams are that similar and close just in terms of their quality, and yet here the Bengals are 4-1 and one, and the Falcons are 1-4. and four. That 1-4 and four, uh, deflates the spreads on the Falcons. It gives you value in the Falcons. I think it inflates spreads for the Bengals. And the Steelers, you know, they're, they're, they're a couple of – like a lot of the league right now, Seth – a lot of these games are coin flippers, you know. So that you look at the Steelers, people are like, "Well, they're two, two, and one, and the Bengals are four and one." Eh, okay. I th I think the Steelers are the better team, and the Steelers have had their number in Cincinnati. I want to say they're sixteen. I I heard this. I heard Russell Baxter say say this last night talking to John Harris on Texans Radio. I want to say the Steelers are sixteen and two in Cincinnati in oh, the last eighteen games. Poor Cincinnati. They've really got their number in Cincinnati on the road against this team, including a playoff game, the yeah. Montez Burfict playoff game a few years ago. So that feels like they've got their own personal Buffalo New England relationship. Yes, like you just have to deal with this every year. Your Bend big over. brother, your big brother's just going to beat this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, right, I, so I like the Steelers catching two and a half there. If you can find it at three, I like it even more. Awesome. I haven't gotten any negative feedback yet about us spending twenty minutes actually talking about non-gambling stuff before That's okay. gambling. So we'll continue this, this format. I'm down. All right, buddy. Thanks, man. Thank you. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.